0: Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love the show, share it with your friends and join our newsletter at eu.vc. Today, we're happy to welcome Alan, partner at Anna, a global early-stage VC active in the major startup ecosystems across six continents. Alan has an extensive experience in building and scaling technology businesses. He was previously MD and co-founder at West Wing, a home and living e-commerce company and one of Europe's few e-commerce IPOs of the past years. Before Westwing, he built the software development hub at Rocket Internet and was CEO of a SEA e-commerce company, along with working for a VC and starting his own company in Spain. If you enjoy our content, do support us by hitting the follow button, giving us a review and following the European VC on LinkedIn. Vaban, a Qatar company, is the easiest way to launch and run your venture investing. An all-in-one integrated solution to form syndicates, VC funds, and co-investment SPV programs built for scale. Supporting the next generation of global ventures from fundraising to exits, Vaban provides an automated back office, allowing their clients to focus on what matters, finding the next unicorn and building their network. Verban has facilitated over $1 billion of capital invested in companies such as Revolut, Bolt and Airbnb. To learn more, please reach out at verban.io forward slash EUVC. And don't forget to mention EUVC. The 15th of December is the day you need to have in mind. EUVC is hosting a webinar with Kathy, David and Andreas. Cathy will show us how to approach PR as an individual and as a firm. Sign up at eu.vc forward slash events.
1: Alan, welcome to this special episode of the European VC. And I say special episode because this one is straight from Andreas McComb's bed. I'm kidding. Andreas is a bit sick, Alan, but we we are fully dedicated to this. Welcome to the show. Yeah, I love the
2: dedication. (laughs) i will never stop the hustle, guys.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and and the cherry on top of it is that our, our audio our, our podcast producer told us that the sound from Andreas's is bed is actually better from his home office. So from now on I think we're gonna make it a, a traditional dread. What do you think about that one?
2: I think it's the Sounds best terrible. idea.
1: Like incredibly <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, but I think it's the best <laughs> idea ever, actually. Okay.
1: Ever. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But well, it will be good to cater to the US recordings at very late hours. Moving on. Uh, before we start, Alan, I want to take the time to hear a bit about you. You've got a really interesting uh, background, from my perspective, at least. First of all, you founded West Wing, a home and living e-commerce company with more than 1,000 employees and uh, 500 million euros in revenue. But you're also part of the Rocket Internet team, which many of our listeners uh, certainly know of, which I can only imagine has been quite interesting uh, as an experience. Tell us more. What made you who you are today?
3: To say the least. Yeah, so um, I'm... Originally German, um, with the first name that confuses the hell out of people because it's the uh, first name. Was born in the UK, um, but um, by background, I'm I'm a founder much more than I'm an I'm an investor. I've been been in this whole startup circus for 15 years. I think like like many people back then, there was no master plan to get into this. It just sort of sort of slid into it. I actually started out on the investing side. My first job was with a, um, a Spanish VC. They they, they don't exist uh, anymore. Um, and back then, I actually saw myself. I'll never want to be an investor again. Uh, I felt that, <laughs> uh, I felt very drawn to the operational side, um, felt that that's where my sweet spot, uh, felt that's, that the people who actually build shit get to have all the fun. Um, so I um, started my first company in 2009 in Spain, um, raised for what was then a lot of money, um, and uh, not terribly surprisingly, crashed and burned spectacularly after about a year and a half, um, um, after which I did indeed uh, join the... The early famous infamous uh, Rocket Internet core crew um, was uh, did a lot of stuff there. I think, like like many people, a lot of e-commerce topics. Um, my functional spike lies on the, the product and tech side, so I ended up uh, setting up a lot of what was Rocket's um, technology and product organization back back in the days um, with some crazy stories that we can talk uh, t- talk another day about over a few beers. Um, but um, ended up then starting my second company, which then Rocket was an investor in, which was an e-commerce in Southeast Asia. Um, Again, uh, a, a learning experience, to put it positively, uh, got some good early traction, scaled it to a couple of hundred people relatively quickly, but very classically never got the unit economics right. Um, so ultimately, um, that, that came to an end as well. Um, and then Indeed was part of uh, a team building building company called, uh, called West Wing, uh, e-commerce out of Munich, selling home and living products, anything from sofas to scented candles um, uh, in, in most major markets in Europe, except for the UK and the Nordics. Um, that was, um, was quite the ride. Uh, lots of opt- ups, uh, almost more downs, uh, but ultimately went through, uh, went through an IPO four years ago. Um, and, uh, then post IPO for me personally felt, felt again, more drawn to the, to the early stages. Um, uh, and kind of when a company gets a certain size, um, you spend uh, kind of the nature of what you do doesn't become any less challenging. I think quite the reverse, but, um, it's very different, um. And we got lucky in the sense that we we had quite the the entrepreneurial culture at at West Wing and kind of saw this this microcosm of the the ecosystem flywheel really in action. We had a lot and a lot of early employees um, and people who went out to start their own companies. A number of them have built by now vastly more successful companies than West Wing ever was. So um, Eric from Scalable Capital used to run our German business business uh, one of the Pisonio founders uh, was uh, was in our team um, a, a number of a number of really really great people that that went through Westmin uh, at one point or another um, and then I really got onto onto the um, kind of back back into the early stages looking at other people um, building their companies supporting from the sidelines and then quite naturally a couple of years ago um, switched sides and and really doubled down in, in what I see as as kind of almost the, the institutionalization of the friends and family angel investing but our, We'll talk, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second, I gather.
1: Yeah, exactly. You you, you dropped it a little uh, nuggets there that we will definitely want to kind of extract value from. I have a more personal one to ask before we go into the topics, which is you in, in the beginning you started by saying that in, in your early, early stages of your career you thought i never want to be an investor again. And here we are, I don't know how many years later, let's not say it. Um, <laughs> but here you are <laughs> as, as a fucking investor, right? So I'd love, I'd love to ask you, what was the thought process back then you know now, if you if you contrast it to uh, to what you've learned and your experience, you know wh- why does it make sense for you to actually be an investor, right?
3: So, I think to be honest, I'd be a horrible late stage investor, quite frankly. Um, I'm um, I'm a borderline introvert. Um, playing the the networking game isn't isn't my thing. Um, I love going deep. I, I tend to be very operational, um, and so for me really the the insight that changed was the the nature of the stage with what we do in antler really that kind of I think the when you're that first angel investor in a company and you're kind of almost that extension of the founder team you're the earliest experience partner you go deep for hours at a time on a specific topic um you're I think it's a very very different nature of what you do in the day to day um than in later stage investing and I think that's that's the insight that for me opened that door again. Because for me, after Western, my initial deal thought, was, hell, I'm going to build another company." Andreas, anything you uh, you were unmuted a second ago?
2: Yeah, nah, so first. what I was about to ask was if you could just unpack the Antler model a bit, because you know we we've we've got a series of of investors coming on from Antlers. So I'd love to hear you know if you could unpack the whole Antler model and also say how does Antler Berlin fit into that?
3: Yeah, absolutely. But um, so I think the. The Antler model, the, the way we think about Antler is we, we call it a day zero investor. So we really think of it as the institutionalization of that friends and family angel investment at the very core of what we do. We then kind of stack a lot of other things on top, but that's that's the core, that's the nucleus, that's what we're, I think, pretty reasonably good at. Um, the kind of where we so, so in most of the companies that we invest in, we are the first investor. And it really comes from that observation that kind of similarly to, to what I see saw at West Wing, but also kind of a lot of other people um, <clears throat> on, on the Antler team have very similar backgrounds where we saw that early employees, founders kind of at that very, very early stage had the same challenges, um, that there is a lot of entrepreneurial talent that comes out of that startup ecosystem. Um that at the same time, that highly involved, very early angel support system traditionally doesn't scale or nobody has been really able to get it to scale at a, at a global level. So it, it's quite the white space. Um, so going a little bit into those, those challenges at the founder level. Um, so one of the key insights was that a lot of the really good people, um, when thinking about starting their company or starting the next company, struggle with that question of, where do I find my co-founder? And ironically, the better and more experienced people are, often the harder that becomes. Because um, as we go up the the pyramid, you you want to found with somebody who is at eye level, kind of as you go up the pyramid, that that peer group shrinks, our networks become more homogenous, and the three, four people that we've worked with in the past that are really good, they tend to be busiest and not available. So um, if kind of a lot of really great people are looking for um, potential co-founders because they decide they don't want to build on their own. I can totally relate to that. I swore to myself after the first experience, I'd never want to build a company on my own. Um, So where do I then, if I don't have that person in my first degree, very close personal network or people that I've worked with in the past, how do I find a co-founder? And then it becomes a shit show because being introduced at some event or through somebody, we have coffee together, we have a beer together. And then... That was nice. We spent two afternoons on a whiteboard together. That's no basis for taking a decision that for the next 10 years, we're going to build something like an old married couple together, right? Um, So then again, we observed that a lot of teams then really struggle after that and kind of teams fall apart and some really good people don't get going um, or fail early on because of that, uh, because of the topic. We all know people in our networks who would be awesome founders, but they say, you know what? I just don't have the team or I don't have the idea. Um, So that's that's kind of one of the key insights. The, the second one is then that kind of as an early angel investor, you can have, I think, an incredible impact on an early business. I think much more than in many cases in later stage investor, kind of that that one core introduction, warm introduction in the first 12, 18 months can make all the difference to a company. If it's kind of the key hire, if it's the introduction to a co-founder, if it is that first investor, if it's um, an introduction to the first customer, at series B, an introduction for kind of your next BP hire or C-level hire is awesome from your investor, but it doesn't change your trajectory completely. At the same time, as an angel, most angels kind of, you're a one-man show. There's kind of so much that potentially you could give in terms of value add. Um, but as a one-man show, you are not a functional expert in everything. I certainly am not. Uh, there's some a few areas where I'm reasonably good at. There's a ton of areas where I'm not good at. Um. The same for kind of opening network. Um, So the idea behind Antler is to really institutionalize that and to set ourselves up in a way where we can holistically on the both being that sparrings partner, being closed, but also the opening of network, um, plus support people in a structured format on how to find their co-founders and really rethink getting that friends and family angel investment stage to scale. Um, And I think we figured out a model. We started that less than five years ago um and we can talk a little bit about the, the the scale that we've reached in a moment but um i think i think we've really kind of gotten gotten elements i think, and that's scale I think Alan,
2: it would be cool if you'd go into that now and say well, what is the scale and also if you could kind of contrast the support system that antler brings and, and compare that to what you experience with rocket internet and what you're seeing with you know entrepreneur first and also we're seeing founder-led syndicates that kind of Tries to bring together a, a group of investors, um, you know, around the founder, um, but where it's the founder that, that that really takes the initiative to it. So I'd love to hear you, you know, contrasting these models as well. Um, but feel free to start with saying exactly what is it the support system that you now have uh, built with uh, with Antler. Yeah, so uh,
3: happy to so the, with Antler, we are now we we're operating with local teams in twenty five locations around the globe. Um, we, by now, every year, get over 60,000 applications of founders that want to join some of our cohorts, out of which we then end up um, taking 1% to 2%. We are truly global, so kind of we're present in, present in all the major ecosystems for now except China. Um, around the world, I think this year alone, we'll invest into some 300 companies that wouldn't exist um, uh, without us. Um, and the kind of, when I think about kind of how is it different from, from other models, I think there's, there's different archetypes. On the one hand, you have the, going back to the, to the rocket model, you have kind of the incubators, venture builders of this world. And and I mean, all these terms are fluffy and each ecosystem uses them somewhat differently. Um, but what I'm thinking about is the, the models that, um, where you have a highly involved investor that typically recruits founders to run businesses and often in their own ideas and takes a big chunk of the cap table in many cases certainly having been an, a, a founder with rocket i can tell you that was the case um, the our philosophy there's is, is the inverse so we support founders to build their own ideas um, and we can talk about kind of the why we're not a hypothesis driven investor um, uh, in a moment um, and we help them sharpen their own ideas, and we support them in building their own. We, we look to invest in strong founder-led companies. We are very clear minority investor who takes um, everywhere we operate round about a ten percent. So kind of very, very clear. It's a larger angel vehicle. Very clearly, we are the minority investor. We don't tell founders how to run their business. We're never going to fire a founder. That's kind of not, not our place and not something that we want to do. And we look to stay minority investors. Um, over the duration of how we work with uh, with companies. So I think that's the venture builder in- incubator type world. Um, then you have the classic accelerators, YC being the biggest kid on the block. I think those are clearly a step and a half later than us. Um, so we have a large number of companies that have gone through Antler that have afterwards gone on into Y Combinator. Um, but typically those start at the moment where there is already a team, there's some semblance of product, often some semblance of traction, and then the accelerators kind of get involved and do what the name says, accelerate what is already there. We actually start with working with founders really at day zero, in many cases, before they've even started to found their company. Um, so I think there's, there's the stage difference. And then in how we work with founders, when I talk to founders that that have gone through Antler and gone on to, to YC, for example, um, the, the way in which we work with the founders is extremely different. Um, so YC is very heavy on world-class content, one-to-many formats, and then a world-class network on top. Um, and obviously all the signaling effect and, and all the, the, the positive things that brings with it. Our approach with working with founders is, is very different in the sense that we hold next to no one-to-many formats. We're not a startup school. Also, the, the, the founders that, that come and work with us, they, they're far too experienced for me to be telling them, a hey, and, and holding a keynote on these are the 25 best practices to writing the perfect business plan. I think that's complete, completely redundant, generic information. And if somebody's looking for that, there's a ton of people who can do that way better than me on YouTube. Um, but kind of our model is far more individual with the founders. So if a founder is, or a team, is then kind of going deep into, okay, this is our product roadmap, how fast do we want to... Um, to scale, ramp up the burn, how conservative do we want to be, at what traction milestone should we go out fundraise. I think those are very, very individual discussions. That's not one size fits all. Then I'd rather spend four hours with an individual team and discuss on their specific um, topic or somebody else who may, may in that case know more than I do. So I think those are the, the, the key differences in, in how I look at how we do things differently from the, the, the key archetypes um, in terms of incubators and accelerators. Um, and then in terms of, um, uh, kind of the angels, angel syndicates, I think many players that do awesome stuff, um, and we actually work with a lot of them, um, in many cases they actually come and invest into, into companies that, that come through Antler. Um, I think we just do this at a somewhat larger scale, um, with kind of truly, truly global network and, uh, and resources behind it that I think allow us to do a few more things
1: yeah yeah I, I have to ask not that i want you to speak shit of them because i love them but i'm really curious to understand the the, the differences because i actually do not know when you look at what Anther's is doing and entrepreneur first is doing you know it feels like you're working at very much the same stage right it feels like you're very much carrying to similar profiles but i might be wrong there because i've never seen the models from the inside would you have any insights on what you know what's best suited for who from that perspective
3: to be honest, I, I, Entrepreneur First is the one player that works in a relatively similar model. Um, they, I think they're awesome. They do a lot of great stuff. Um, they are, I think they, there's a number of tactical differences of how they operate that are that are somewhat different. They are slightly more heavy on um, people who come straight up, out of academia with kind of great technologies looking for an application. Um, they um are maybe a little bit more formalistic in how they think about the founder composition um they have a different geographic footprint where we by now have they're much older than we are but we have outscaled them very very significantly um but i think ultimately when 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 founders ask me at the end of the day um eh, who to work with i always tell them look at the people um i kind of these uh we're a long-term investor. If you want to work with me, then I'm going to be on your cap table and working closely with you for ten plus years. Um, talk to the people um, and figure out who you who you want to work with. Um, and I think there we've done um, we've done something that we can also talk about in a moment. Kind of, we've taken a very deliberate decision to set ourselves up with critical mass in each of the ecosystems that we work in, um, and deeply, deeply, deeply embed ourselves because we fundamentally believe that a lot of the very early stage.
2: Yeah, um, yeah. I'd love it. to dive into the, the the statement that you did that we're not a hypothesis-driven investor. Exactly. I, I'd love to unpack that um, because there's the strong reasons to be uh, and there's also strong reasons not to be. Uh, it just affects the operational model of the firm yeah. a lot. So, I'd love- so
3: um, I think it's a luxury of our model um, that given the stage that we invest at, um, so we, we all know those kind of these... Uh, kind of when when you're a friend and family angel investor, you suddenly invest in a former colleague just because that person is awesome, right? And you kind of you don't understand what the hell they are planning to build, but you just know that person so well that you think, okay, whatever that person is building, I'm going to bet on that person. They'll have understood the space. They'll have understood um, um, uh, kind of the, the business model, etc. Um, and that's the stage that we operate at. So when we think about investment so we initially we get these thousands of applications per what we call kind of cohorts that we bring together of 50, 60, 70, 80 founders we get thousands of applications and we interview them and we interview them on intrinsics so I talk very very little about ideas with these people and I talk mostly about the people and I try to understand what have they done um uh, and and kind of a lot of the the intrinsics of what we believe makes great founders. Um, And a lot of these people come from very unobvious spaces. Um, And that's part of the beauty of the model that we have, that some of the best investments that we've made, I think that kind of hypothesis driven, we would have never thought about. It's because a founder comes in with 12 years domain expertise in a specific area, has awesome network, has an insight, and brings that in and we realize this is an awesome person. And then we bring these people in to our cohorts and then we work with them for 10 weeks and only then do we invest. So we actually have them physically in Berlin. I have them physically for 10 weeks in the office. Um, means I have 400 hours of due diligence that I spend with them. I actually work with them on the whiteboard and that's the basis of my, of my investment. So I can actually truly make those talent investments, um, which allows me to not have to go out with, um, with kind of uh, sector, technology, or trend bets or hypotheses. I'm
1: uh, I'm sitting here, Alan, with like three different possible questions and realizing, fuck, we don't have time. So I'm choosing, <laughs> <laughs> choosing my I'm choosing my words and questions very carefully. And I want st- to I want I want to do a more provocative one, right? Because uh, it's just it's just more no, interesting for get. everyone listening. It. <laughs> no, don't be, don't be. Now you've said a couple of times. Uh, when talking about the profile of founders you, yeah. you're looking for that you target that you like to back and, and, and everything around the model things that make me kind of think in my mind okay is the focus serial entrepreneurs is that is that really it yes or no so I'd love I'd love you to answer that but I also love to ask you a provocative question which is there's a lot of data out there. That that we've actually commented in other shows about you know uh, serial entrepreneurs do they do they raise more money do they raise at higher, higher valuations typically yes right all of that I've never seen data on return profiles <laughs> and it really <laughs> pisses me off so first question is, is is that is that like the type of profile that you guys add for love yes no not necessarily and then do you have any data points on you
3: know the return profile of
1: serial entrepreneurs or is it just a great way to get hyped up valuations that don't convert
3: into results I think. Uh... The the answer is is unfortunately it depends. Um, so on average, the people that join an antler cohort have globally around about twelve years work experience. So it's on average not your recent university graduates. Over half of the people that join have founded companies before. Some of them exited. Some of them failed. Um, the however the variance is huge. So I have people in here with a couple of years work experience because. We all know plenty of examples of companies where people no work experience have uh, have have built really great companies. Um, and then I have also people with 25 years work experience who kind of join uh, who join an Amplecore. And um, we we look a lot at data. I mean, we 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 can operate at, at a scale. I think in terms of like the the, the number of, of profiles that we see, the number of investments we make. Um, I think there's few people that that operate at that scale. Um, the problem with looking at data is we're all in the business of looking for outliers, right? So that by definition, you need to be really careful with data that you don't optimize for averages um, because then you, then you can kill your outliers in there. Um, so when we think about um, serial entrepreneurs, not serial entrepreneurs, I mean, obviously taking in founders who have founded before, that's tremendous experience advantage. I think it also is a fact that these founders, I think, especially in the first couple of years when it's all about kind of the the, the further funding that you get is all on team or largely on team. um, Serial entrepreneurs just have a huge, huge, huge leg up. um, Which kind of, if you look full start to end, um, serial entrepreneurs versus non serial entrepreneurs. Obviously, means that the chances of succeeding are significantly higher. Now, what does that mean for the early stage returns? I think is a very, very different question. I don't have the answer, quite frankly. I don't have a good statistic. Um, I know that we, again, we we we, we take profiles from both buckets.
1: And uh, I'll just say, anyone listening in that has any interesting data on the topic, we'd love to look at it. I'm sure Alan would also love to receive it and look at it <laughs> very <again>. critically. <laughs> but uh, but uh, moving on, Andreas, uh, we're running a bit out of time. Uh, Is there any Alan, i maybe you'd just like ask you if you could
2: dive a bit into uh, the multiplier effect and the flywheel of serial entrepreneurs, because I know that that's a topic that's very close to our heart and it's. it's uh, Tied also to the opening story that we had with uh, with West Wing, so I'd love to just hear you uh, lay out that story a bit for us.
3: Yeah, I I think it's it's it it, it's one that is very, very, very apparent that kind of that flywheel of where it kind of people who have worked early on or been part of the journey of a very successful company see. Um, a how it's done but i think role models play a huge role kind of seeing that it's doable um so kind of then go out start their own companies um and do so successfully um and this this becomes this whole self-compounding effect in ecosystems i think we've seen this this over and over uh, around the world um what i find super fascinating about these flywheel effects is how um how localized they are to some extent so how they happen within specific ecosystems so how all of a sudden kind of it starts spinning with graduates from a specific university because already at, um, at undergrad level, people all of a sudden see, oh, lots of people who've done exactly what I've done have been successful entrepreneurs. They all of a sudden graduate into this whole network of, of, uh, of funding, support, um, expertise, um, and how other areas are completely untouched by that and kind of how different maturities of this flywheel um, really determine our our pace of innovation and, and to some extent kind of uh, uh, I think the, um, the, the the success and growth of our economies. I'm super, super fascinated. We do, do a ton of, of stuff on this.
2: And, um, and Alan didn't say this, but yeah, uh, Alan has actually put out a good article on this where he dives in on, on, on some of the data behind uh, uh, behind what he has seen in Berlin. So I think that, that anyone hearing this and thinking this is a topic of interest, that you, they should definitely go out and uh, check that article out.
3: Yeah, we've, 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 we've done a bigger study on, on kind of the, 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 the wider regional ecosystem, and I've done kind of a spotlight study on actually our own West Wing alumni. Um, when I looked at it um, for the 10-year anniversary since West Wing founding, by then the multiplier effect was roughly 4 to 5x. So founders that had graduated out of West Wing had raised 4 to 5x the amount of capital that we had ever raised at West Wing. Um, they were at that point employing five times the amount of people that we were employing at West Wing, kind of that um that that and that number has shot up in the last two years since I since I pulled those numbers um, so I think that's uh, super super fascinating and makes me makes me despite everything that is going on in the current ecosystem environment makes me a fundamental optimist um, because I think those forces um, the, the, that fundamental shift is not going away and that undercurrent is staying
1: and I, I think I think it's actually a really important topic right because it goes it also impacts policy right and it really goes to show the impact of what venture which ends up being a small industry after all right but the impact of venture especially the early stage venture can have in these ecosystems and me coming from lisbon right I've, I've seen it firsthand i don't have the data but i've seen it firsthand where we had very little entrepreneurial activity and now we're having these you know these this first generation of founders some of them now raising funds some of them doing a second third venture and that's exactly what you're describing uh but just in a different ecosystem so it's it's, it's really important to shed light and i'm really happy
3: you have that data, so I'd invite everyone to check it out. Where, where can they
1: find it, Alan? Is it available on your LinkedIn? On, 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 on my LinkedIn.
3: On my LinkedIn. I'll put yeah. it up on my LinkedIn uh, to the font so that people will find it easily. Beautiful,
1: beautiful. Alan, before finishing this off with a quick fire round, I want to give you enough time to – because we spoke a lot about the Anther model. But yep. there's the Antler model, the Antler ecosystem, and then there's antler Berlin, right? And I want to give you the the, the, the time to talk about antler Berlin specifically and what should people know about it and anyone listening and interested, what, what could they and should they do?
3: to to, to be honest i tell people um don't focus on a specific anti-location at the end of the day we are a global institution um so we work in all of these different ecosystems we have set ourselves up in ways that we are deeply embedded in the local ecosystem so also when we talk about um fund structuring for example we have decided to to build regionally ring funds super early stage funds with probably atypical LP structures where there are a lot of angels, a lot of founders, etc. cetera, kind of to, to multiply our network and also kind of what we can bring to bear on the behalf on behalf of our founders in each of the local ecosystems. Um, but at the end of the day, we are a global firm, we are a global partnership, and um, we part of what we offer and our value promise to founders is that they enter a, glo- a truly global community with a global platform behind it. So... Um, some of the, the companies that we've invested in here from, from Berlin in the last year, they just spent significant time with some of my partner colleagues over in the US uh, as they were over there uh, in fundraising. I've been helping a number of US companies uh, very actively in the market entry into, uh, into, into the European markets. I think that's yeah, ultimately we we're, want. We're On that note,
1: Alan, we always end the episodes with a quick fire round. Quick fire round is when I ask you quick answer questions, 30 to 60 seconds each. Are you ready?
3: I hope I am. <laughs>
1: First question, Alan. What areas excite you the most in venture, of course, but that you find other people around you not really that excited about?
3: I think, to be honest, what I found um, almost counterintuitive in 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 when entering venture is the fact that these we talked about these flywheels, how incredibly localized they are, um, and how much, to some extent, the the venture industry is inward looking. No matter how you look at um, uh, how you look at the data, look at um, whenever you talk to an early stage uh, investor, ask them kind of what's the share of deals that you do that don't come through warm intros, right? Um, it's absolutely tiny. So the kind of what excites me are also the talent opportunities outside of the traditional networks because there's world class talent, world class entrepreneurial talent, and opportunities that in the our hype driven uh, venture ecosystem that where people have to work thesis-driven, where people have to work on their networks, um, just kind of don't come to bear. Um, And that's something that really excites me about how we are able to work with founders, that we can actually pull these into and enable them in the established venture ecosystem.
1: I love how you literally answered two of the quick-fire questions in one way. So you just botched my section. Anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> second question of the quick-fire round. What's your, uh, what are your top tips for emerging VCs who are fundraising?
3: I think there's two tips that I would give, uh, acknowledging that I'm, I sure don't have the ultimate wisdom on this, but kind of the two things that come to mind are, mind are, number one, be differentiated. Uh, and have a clear story. I think there is so many ultimately undifferentiated funds um, that have very, very, very similar story lines. And the VC also return distribution is also a power law distribution where kind of few funds accumulate a lot of the returns in the entire industry. I think you need to be just differentiated and you need to be able to tell that differentiated story. Um, and second... I think you need to be ready to work really bloody hard. Um, I think for for a number of reasons. On the one hand, kind of established players have a lot of flywheel powers in their own favor. Um, So you need to be faster. You need to go the extra mile. And also I see a number of people who kind of get into VC or get into investing after having worked really hard, after having been really successful and see this kind of as the, the cushioning out at the end of their career. I think if you want to be um, successful in this, it is bloody hard work, and it's not a hobby.
1: Alan, it's really interesting that you that you um, that you bring up that that point because we've been hammering down a bit that message in, in in recent months, right? About are there too many GPs and emerging, inspiring GPs out there? Are there too little? You know, what do you think about it? And exactly on the point that you said. The two points you bring up, right, it's, it's it's about differentiation. You have to be highly differentiated and it's not a fucking hobby. It's not a way to retire, right? And I think Europe has suffered a bit from that in the early days of venture and I just hope that you know we can kill that. You want to comment on that?
3: I, I think ultimately at the end of the day, since this is a flywheel, every actor that comes to play is ultimately net positive on the ecosystem. Um, and yeah, I also don't want to come across as too negative. I think the vast majority are really, really good people. Um, and I think in the last especially five years the the vc industry has matured a lot here in europe and kind of a lot of firms have become more professional and and new really good players have 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 come up um but i think there is also that 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 uh, that flip side and that is still quite apparent
1: Yeah. yeah alan that brings us to the end of the episode thank you for joining us today thank you
3: no, thank, thank you so much. It has been a, a, a real pleasure. I know we've been trying to set this up for over a year um, and I'm so glad it finally happened. Uh, huge fan of the work that you're doing. And I think great, all kind of the, the demystification that you bring into the VC ecosystem, the transparency that you're really creating in a very oblique industry. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of The European VC the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love the show, share with your friends and join our newsletter at eu.vc. Voban, a Qatar company, is the easiest way to launch and run your venture investing. An all-in-one integrated solution to form syndicates, VC funds, and co-investment SPV programs built for scale. Supporting the next generation of global venturers from fundraising to exits... Voban provides an automated back office, allowing their clients to focus on what matters, finding the next unicorn and building their network. Vaban has facilitated over $1 billion of capital invested in companies such as Revolut, Bolt and Airbnb. To learn more, please reach out at vaban.io forward slash EUVC. And don't forget to mention EUVC. The 15th of December is the day you need to have in mind. EUVC is hosting a webinar with Kathy, David, and Andreas. Kathy will show us how to approach PR as an individual and as a firm. Sign up at eu.vc forward slash events.